You can be opening your Bibles to Genesis 13 uh, now. Uh, we're going to be seeing something uh, here of Abraham, Abram. Uh, he learned something from chapter 12, and now uh, we are to chapter 13, where he applies a little bit of what he learned, possibly. He seems to uh, have gained some humility. Uh, and it's about, though, making choices. And so, that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, by the way, if you have a smartphone, either in here or if you're online and you have a smartphone uh, or a computer, you can go to your app store. And I'm going to go to uh, my app, not the app store, because I have it already. If I can get my phone back to where it's supposed to be. There we go. And uh, I'm going to click on ours. And, and if you look up Calvary Stanton, you'll find it. And it's the orange C with the cross in the middle. And uh, it looks like that. And then once you open it, there's sermons. You tap on that. And audio means you can listen to past ones. Sermon notes, today's is on there. Today is hard choices. So I tapped on that. And there is the outline that I'm looking at here on my uh, pad because my eyes are older and I'll be 62 next month and so I need to be able to enlarge it here so I'm going to use my pad but you can use your phone and do that every week and uh, if you want you can take it and make notes with it whatever you need to do but uh, I am glad that you're here today as we look at Genesis 13 and this this whole series has been a super uh, blessing to me personally. I, I don't know if God led me to preach on it so I'd study this book for myself. Uh, I, I know that there's things in here that, that you're getting uh, good things out of. Um, uh, again, just in the news all the time, there's new things showing how uh, the Bible is true and how um, evolution is false. Um, and, and recently, uh, this isn't about evolution, but a guy got swallowed by a whale. <laughs> A humpback whale. They thought if sperm whale wasn't big enough to eat a man, a humpback whale took in a, a diver. He was a, a I forget, a, like oyster. It was an oyster, lobster. Yeah, it's a lobster diver or something like that. And he said he thought it was a shark, but as he felt it going by, he realized there weren't any teeth there. And it turned out to be a humpback whale, and he was eaten up by it. So it's been all in the news now. Everybody's fascinated by that, but. Yeah, God did that one a long time ago. So anyway, um, yeah, the whale spit him back out. Uh, he shook its head or something, and so he didn't get all the way to the belly, but he was down there where it starts grinding you, and he felt it, and it bruised him up, but he was fine. Uh, came back out, so uh, it's kind of, uh, kind of funny. But, but Genesis is full of that stuff. In fact, today's story relates all the way back to the very beginning when God made Adam and Eve, and we'll, we'll be seeing that. Um, and so, as you've got your Bible open, I want to just read a couple of verses, 8 and 9. We're going to look at the whole chapter, but right now I just want to read verse 8 and 9. If you want to stand up with me, uh, that would be a blessing to me. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for choices in life. Uh, Lord, um, it seems sometimes you give us choices that, that it really is up to us. And either way, we'll be fine. But Lord, we know that you have a divine will that you're working out in our lives individually. 
And so we pray that we would listen to you, that we would study the scripture and know what you say about certain things so that we know a certain choice is not the right one because it contradicts your word. So Lord, we pray that we would see clearly today that you would open the eyes of our understanding to give us what we need in this passage we are looking at today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying the price so that the Holy Spirit could live in us and with us. And we thank you, Father, for approving this divine plan so that all these things work to the glory of God the Father. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can, y'all can be seated. Uh, on Thursdays, uh, Andy and I are trying to get into a habit. And that habit is we, we get together and just talk about, well, we want it to be about 10 minutes. It's been 20 and 15. We're working in the right direction. But where we just kind of talk, cap what we did today, and maybe there'll be something new in there, and maybe not, and looking forward to what we're going to do the next week. And so this past week when we were, we were talking, and, and I was saying that it would be about choices and, and finding out God's will, I said that, you know, the Bible, there's no verse in the Bible that says, Stuart, marry Janice. You know, there's no verse like that. We, we got married in 1987 in December, and, and uh, so it would be 34 years this December, but, but there was a, wasn't a verse, but I sought the Lord for that. I, 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 I wanted to be a married man. I wanted to find a, a wife, uh, but I met Janice in May and married in December, and uh, she listened in. She, she had to be on the road this morning, so she was listening as she was driving. She said, don't talk about me so much, but um, sorry, babe, I got to do it. Um, but that first year when you were dating, we were married. Our first Valentine's Day together, we were married, okay? Just to put that in a little perspective. And so we didn't know each other. You know, we hadn't got time. We hadn't had enough time to really get to know each other. And uh, that was advice for me from an uncle. Said, don't let her get to know you too well before you marry her because then she might back out. But anyway, so uh, she's been stuck with me ever since. But that first year, uh, it was just a lot of struggle. And, and, you know, getting to know each other, a lot of other circumstances we don't need to get into. But she would ask me this question. She would say, do you know it was God's will for us to get married? I said, absolutely. She said, how do you know it was God's will? I said, we're married. This is obviously God's will. It's done. There's no backing out. If she left me, I'd go with her. Because <laughs> this is the way it is. It's just not an option. And she'd say, well, what if I'd have married somebody else? I'd say, well, then that would have been God's will. She'd say, how could it be God's will I'd marry somebody else and you? I said, you didn't marry us both. You married me. That's why it's God's will. So that's just logic, guys. But anyway... <laughs> Abram comes on this choice. He's got a choice to make. And he made a bad choice in chapter 12. In this chapter, he's going to make a great choice. He's going to make a good choice. Because in chapter 12, he didn't trust God. In chapter 13, he does. And so I want you to take home with you this, what you are seeing. God knows the best choice for you in everything. I just heard myself saying that. So somebody turn your volume down. God knows the best choice for you in everything everything. There's, there's not even the minutest thing in which God does not have a will for your life. And so it would do you well to check in with him often. But I want, I want to jump into this, and, and I didn't read the first few verses, and that's going to be real necessary to understand that choices have to be made. Let me just say this about choices. Uh, this isn't going to be a tutorial on how to make good choices necessarily. There's some things in here that might help you a lot, 
uh, there's a lot more we could say about making godly choices or knowing that you're in the will of God. But, uh, but choices must be made. And the very first thing you got to do if there's a, an option, if there's a choice in front of you, is you got to define the problem. And I'm speaking in a difficult time. There's a problem. In this chapter, there is a problem between Abram and Lot. And it's really between their herdsmen, but it's more involved than that. But, but you got to define the problem. The problem wasn't that Abram and Lot couldn't get along. The problem wasn't even their herdsmen couldn't get along. The problem was they had too much stuff. And family is more important than stuff, so they had several choices. They could, have, they could have gotten rid of all their stuff, and then they wouldn't have had too much. Or they could continue to fight, which is, always think of the worst choice as well, just so you can say, well, I thought about it, and I don't want to do that one. Uh, or they could divide and move further apart, and that's the one that they ultimately chose, but that's not even the point today about that. So you got to define the problem, and the problem is we can't both exist this close together. And so you consider the options. That's the second part. I've walked you through that, and then make a choice, and that's what they did. Abram said, here's the deal. I'll make this choice, what do you, and I'm going to put it in your hands. So you make this choice, and we'll go from there. So in verse 1, we see that Abram and their company returned from Egypt. Now, you remember they went down to Egypt. They went to Canaan. Chapter 12, they had to make a choice, and God told them to go to Canaan. And then a drought hits. And instead of trusting God that God could take care of them in Canaan in a drought, he makes a logical choice, let's fix this. And he goes down to Egypt where the stuff's still growing. It's not the drought's not there. They've got food. So that's the choice they made. But on the way down, as you know, Abram was afraid because his wife was so beautiful that he said, man, they're going to see you, they're going to take you from me, and then they're going to kill me, so they don't have to mess with me. And so tell them you're my sister, which was a half-truth. She was his sister. That was a, it's a whole truth. She's his sister, but she was also his wife. It was his father's daughter by another woman. And so that she went along with it. Pharaoh found out because God brought all kind of plagues on his house. And at the same time, Pharaoh had given a bunch of stuff to Abram. That's going to play in today. And Pharaoh says, why didn't you just tell me the truth? Get out of here. And so Abram and everybody had to leave Egypt. And he sends them back. They go back to where they started. They go back to the Negev. Uh, and so in verse 1, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him. And so the Bible lets you foreshadows there's a problem coming. Lot's still hanging around with Uncle Abram. And they go into the Negev. Now, then it says, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He already had a lot going into Egypt. He's coming out of there very rich. Pharaoh gave him all this stuff and didn't make him return it. He didn't say, man, you tricked me. Give me my stuff back and get out of here. He just said, get out of here. So Abram got to keep all that. It's a foreshadowing of when the children of Israel left Egypt. God said, go to all your neighbors because they're so sick of the, of the plagues. They're ready to get rid of you, and they'll give you all their stuff. And so they said, give us all you got. They gave them all their gold, all their stuff, and they went into the, into the wilderness with, with money and what they needed. So in verse 3, he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel. Now, that is two words in Hebrew, Beth meaning house, El meaning God. So the house of God or God's house. From where uh, his tent had been, at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he made an altar at the first and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So Abram got in trouble and he runs back to an altar he built and worships God. Now I think that's an important point 
Because so many times we find ourselves in a bad spot. And many times when we're in a bad spot, it's something dumb we did, right? We, we just are, we're messed up. And I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I didn't really, I didn't really didn't want to tell my parents when I'd messed up. I, because I had a, a, a too, too grave a fear, probably, of my parents. I didn't know what they were going to do. Maybe you had a dad that just would explode and you just didn't want him to find out. And you tried to hide stuff. But a, a, a good father, a good dad, not going to be any less upset, not going to be any less angry, but he's going to help you in your need. He's going to help you through your problem, even if it was your own dumb fault. Right? Isn't that what a good father should do? He's going, to, he's going to correct you whatever discipline needs, and God does that too. But he's also going to be with you. He's going to help you. He's not going to disown you because you messed up. So Abram is smart enough. He goes back to an altar, and he worships God. God, I really messed up. I shouldn't have left here, but I did. But now we're back because that's how you work the circumstances to bring us back. So he goes back to the altar. But look at verses 5 through 7. And Lot, so this is not a but, it's not like either or, it's there's a problem because we got this addition. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So you got people groups staying there and the herdsmen of Lot and Abram are fighting each other over grass. Now, in Israel, uh, when you, you know, the psalmist said, you bring me to green pastures, right? You feed me on green pastures. Well, as a kid, when I hear that, I thought, like where I lived. I lived on the coast of South Carolina. The grass is very green. If it turns light green, you think it's dying, right? It's, a, it's, just, it's just green. We, we took a trip out west when the children were younger. I'd never been out west before or since. I'd love to go back. Beautiful place. We came to Flagstaff, Arizona, and we stopped there for the night. And we, there, the hotels were crowded. We said, why is it so crowded? I said, the rodeo's in town. The professional rodeo is in town. So we go out to the rodeo. We park in a parking lot under pine trees. There are green leaves of, off the pine tree, pine needles on the ground. I opened the door and stepped on them, and they crunched. I had never heard green pine needles crunch before. I was like, that is weird. It was just so dry there. I was used to this lush greenery. Well, when the Bible says there's food there. It wasn't like a carpet of green. There's enough sprigs of grass in that place for the sheep to eat and to live. They had so much that they couldn't stay in the same place, especially with other people living there. They're, they are in that kind of uh, a situation. And the herdsmen are arguing over that grass. They're arguing over what is going to happen. Lot is too much to hang out with Abram. So, we find in verse 8, Abram says to Lot, don't let there be strife between us because we're kinsmen. I don't know, I don't know maybe your family is a family that argues all the time. I don't mean just you and your close family. I mean your extended family. Uh, I, I have parts of my family that have been like that. I've been around them. But when I was a kid, man, they, somebody was always mad at somebody else. And, they, and that, that, that was more the Irish side. And so that's when I learned 
about Irish Alzheimer's where you forget everything but the grudge, right? And you just stay mad. They were just always mad, always wanting their... And when, when, when we have a strife, it's always because we want our own way. I mean, that's what Isaiah says, that, that we have turned each one to his own way. And so, if you don't do it my way, I'm going to have an argument with you. I'm going to be against you. And that's what's happening here. There's not enough food, and they're fighting with each other. But Abram defines the choice, and he makes a, a decision here. Verse 8, Abram says to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. I want you to really catch what's going on here. Abram's decision is to tell Lot, nephew, you pick. You go one way, I'll go the other. Not in anger. We'll just move apart a little bit. And I'm going to let you have first choice. You decide what you want. If you had a sibling as a kid and you had to divide a cookie or a donut and you broke it or cut it and then you compared the sizes, you know, so if you got, if, if, by the way, if you live in that house right now, kids, one cuts, the other decides. So that makes the cutter cut it right, okay? That's how you do that. So, so Abram says, I don't care. You pick one and go that way and I will go the other way. But here's what I want you to really catch. Abram is trusting God with the decision. He doesn't demand his own way. Abram's the leader, obviously. Seems like he has more stuff. Abram, it says he had, was very rich. It said Lot also had some stuff. So Lot is really the parasite on the dog, right? He's the tick on the dog here a little bit. And Abram magnanimously says, you go your way and I'll go a different way and we'll be good. But that's not what that's all about. Abram has made his own choice before and it wasn't a good one. He is trusting God to be content with what God gave him. Now listen, I was, I was talking about, you know, marrying my wife. When, when it came time to marry her, I, I, I fasted and prayed. I knew I was going to ask her. I, I knew three days after I met her I was going to marry her, but I didn't tell her that. Guys don't ever tell a girl that until God tells her that because that'll freak them right out, I'm just telling you. So I knew enough at that point not to do that, but... but I knew I was going to marry her, but I, we, were going, uh, we were going down to Georgia to her mom's we're, uh, for a trip down, and I was going to ask her mom when I got there. And so I called my parents. I said, Mom, get Dad on the phone too. And I said, I'm going to ask Janice to marry me. And my mom says, you can't come home. That was her response. I said, I'm going to ask Janice to marry me. She said, you can't come home. I said, what do you mean? Said, you get married, you're your own man. Don't bother us anymore. You're done, okay? She didn't say don't bother us anymore, but you're, you're, you, you got to take care of it. I said, okay, I get it. I, I, you don't have to tell me that. I mean, you raised me. You know, that's how I think. So anyway, so I, I prayed and I asked the Lord and, and, I, and I felt like the Lord led me. Why would I want something different? Why in the world would I choose some? thing else than what God had already given me. I mean, this is, this is why people get in trouble in their marriages, right? That looks better than this. Because notice what happens here to, to Abram and Lot. 
In verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes, saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. So Lot looks and says, man, that looks awesome, and that's what he picks. He's not content to say, I'm going to go. Abram knew whatever God gave him would be enough. Let me just help you with marriage and all decisions in life. Unless you're content with God, you will not be content with anything else. There's not enough money, there's not enough power, there's not enough position, not enough possessions in this world to fill the God-sized hole in your life. Only God can fill that hole. And until that hole is filled, you can't offer anything to anybody else. Because you're a needy person. People say, oh, they complete me. Man, if my wife is completing me, it ain't going to work. If I'm completing her, that's not going to work. Only God can complete her. Only God. Marriage is between two people made whole by God to come together to serve God together. That's my definition of marriage. And I don't care if you're a preacher, missionary, or whatever job you have in this world. That's the reason for marriage. That God has brought you together as whole people. And, and so when you're not content with God's gift to you, then you start looking around. And isn't it funny that we've got that saying, the grass always looks greener? Yeah, maybe they got that from Lot. That Man, the grass looks greener over there. I'm heading over there. But you know what? That grass still got to be mowed. But when you're content with God's choice, because assuming accurately, I believe, Janice is God's choice for me, and I'm just talking generally here, then he created her just like she is and me just like I am so that together we could glorify God the most. So why would you want something else? Now, I know some of you have been victims of that. Maybe some of you have initiated that. I don't know. But I know some people in here have been victims of that or maybe online. You're hearing me and you're like, yeah, that's what happened to me. And it's a very tough thing to go through. It's a very hard thing to go through. But when you're content with God, God will take care of you in that situation. And that's what Abram now understands. He goes, look at the land. Let me show you more than just Abram going, I'll be content with what God gives me. This is a statement of his faith now. Because what did God promise Abram? God promised him to be father of many nations. He promised him the whole land of Canaan. And Abram says, look, it's all ours anyway. Pick something. Now, Lot, uh, Abram hadn't received it yet. He is speaking as if God had already answered his promise to him. Now, I don't want to get into the naming and claiming stuff, but let me just tell you something. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 1, as many as may be the promises of God in him, they are yes. He has already given you everything you need to handle the problem you are in at this moment. The hymn writer put it this way. All I have needed your hand hath, which is an old English word to mean, has already provided. God's already given you the grace and the power to make the marriage you're in the best one you've ever been in. Hopefully the only one you've ever been in. But if it's not, it is going to be the greatest of all time. Think about Adam and Eve. What choice did they have? We, we, just, we did a book study, a book called uh, Cherish, uh, before COVID hit. And, uh, and, and in that book, he calls it the Adam and Eve principle. He said, just go by that. I mean, 
Adam didn't have much choice, did he? There was one woman, and she had one man. I mean, Adam had already checked out all the animals, went, nope, nothing there. And God made Eve for him, and he made them for each other. And those two, that was all they got. Look at your husband, look at your wife as if they are the only. I know some of you say, if he was the last man in the world, I wouldn't marry him. Well, he is the last man in the world for you. She is the last woman in the world for you. And if you look elsewhere, you're going to get in trouble. When you're not content with God's best, when you break God's covenant that you made in marriage, it, it causes issues. And like I said, some people are victims of that. Some people cause that. But if you find yourself in that, I'm just in a sermon on marriage. I just want to help you see. It's a great illustration of all choices in our life. Where God has you, you say, wow, this is the best thing for me. And you treat it that way. You take it as Abram did by faith. This is great. Our marriage is going to be great. Say, how can you say it's going to be great when we're fussing and fighting and can't get along? Because God gave you to me and me to you, and God wants us to be great together. And when you start changing your focus from the issues to the glory of God, it changes how you think about it, how you look at it, and how you deal with it. Somebody help me. Okay, that was a weak amen, but amen. Listen, it, and it doesn't have to be marriage. It could be a job or it could be some other, a health issue or whatever. How long, O oh Lord? We find in Revelation, saints in heaven, in heaven praying, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to let that keep going on? And he says, be still, be quiet, be at peace for a while. I'm going to take care of it. We can rest knowing that God is going to take care of it eventually, whatever it is. They were looking at the martyrs in the tribulation when, when they were crying that out. These are probably the earlier martyrs, and they're saying, God, how long are you going to let the people be killed this way? He says, hold on, I got it. It's coming. And so you can rest in God's will, even if it looks bad to everybody else, because it's the best thing for you. And Abram says, pick one. And so he looks... Lot chooses this lush valley. But God's got a great sense of humor. Because in this story and underlying it, in case you missed it, Moses puts it in there as a parenthetical phrase. He describes the Jordan Valley as lush and green like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. But that was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Where Lot wound up, where he lost it all, trying to keep it all. No man is a fool. This is a quote from another great man. A great man, not another great man, a great man. No man is a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Lot said, that looks good. It was the lust of the eyes. Remember the three things that Adam failed in and Jesus succeeded in? Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is lust of the eyes. Man, that looks good. We're going that way, Abram. Thanks, Unc, but I'm taking the good stuff. You can have that desert up there. And he takes off for that. And about five chapters later, God's going to destroy where Lot went. Utterly destroy it. It's believed, if not by only me, it might be by others, but by me. That was like a nuclear explosion went off there. If you read the description, it is very similar. And destroyed, leveled it. Beautiful cities there, beautiful lushness, gone. 
What's there now is the Dead Sea. And sometimes when you're looking at that greener grass, God's going, but it's going to destroy your life. It is better to let God choose for you in your life. And it is tough to go through, by the way. Let me just, there's something I wanted to say, so let me say it. First church I ever served, and it's been a long time, and I doubt this person will ever even hear me say this now, but she would say amen to it. But lady in that church, young lady, attractive lady, and her husband left her for another man. And you heard that right. And she said, what do I do? She was a brand new Christian, really. I think, yeah, I'd help lead her to the Lord, in fact. Said, what do I do? I said, you stay faithful to God until God does something. A couple years later, she says, how long? I said, until God does something. And she was content. After a couple of years, on her birthday, he came up to her office and brought her a bouquet of flowers for her birthday. Her response was, does this mean you want to come home now? He said, no, why would you ask me that? She said, I'm just checking because God wants you to repent and come home and be with me. He never did. He never did. God worked it out for her. But sometimes it's tough to live through life that way. But that's the call of God. If you have no other option, the choice is to accept God's will for your life and make the most out of it. And that's what that lady did. Lot made the wrong choice because all that glitters is not gold. I know that's not a Bible phrase, but it's very true. And so, verse 11, So Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and he journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. By the way, did you catch that? Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot didn't move into Sodom, he moved near Sodom. He, he, he didn't go into the pit of snakes, he just put his tent on the outside of the pit of snakes. But when you get close to sin, eventually you're going to be in there because five chapters later, four chapters later, whatever it is, 19 I think, chapter 19, so whatever it is, six chapters later, God's going to destroy that place. But Lot is in the city. He's gone into the sinful city. He never sinned that way himself. The Bible called him a righteous man. He was grieved by the sin, but he's living in it. He's living amongst it because he'd made this bad choice here. But now I want you to see God's choice. Abram made a choice. Lot made a choice. But look at God's choice in verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, I don't think God puts phrases in the Bible just for fun. <laughs> I think after Lot had separated from him is important. I think God's like, okay, now that he's out of the way, I want to tell you something. You know, sometimes when you stay in a crowd, you can't hear from God. You need to get alone with God occasionally to let him speak to you. And by the way, when I say God speaks to us, I mean he speaks to us through his word. This, you saturate yourself with the principles of the word. So, young people that are not married, never date a person that doesn't love the Lord. That doesn't love the Lord more than they love you. Just don't do it. It's dumb. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. Don't do it. You're just, you're calling down problems on yourself. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from this place where you are northward, southward, eastward, and westward. 
All the land that you see I'll give to you and your offspring forever. Wait, that reminds me of something. Oh yeah, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and looked at the Jordan Valley and it was green and well watered. God tells Abram, now you lift your eyes. I'm going to show you something. Lot looked with the eyes of flesh at that looks the best. I'm going to take the best for me. So like when you're a kid at Christmas, you always figured the best present was in the biggest package. Right? So you'd open that one first. And sometimes the best thing is not in the biggest package. And God says to Abram, Lot looked and he picked that. I want you to lift your eyes. I want you not to look in one direction. I want you to do a 360 spin here. Look north and south and east and west. And everything you can see, I'm going to give it to you. Don't worry about Lot. That Trust me, Abram, in six chapters, it's not going to be good for him. But look at everything. I'm giving it to you. You're going to have it. And your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. If you could count the dust of the earth, then you could count your offspring. Arise, walk through the length of the breadth of the land, for I'll give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre. And that's important because that's where God's going to meet him before he destroys uh, Sodom and Gomorrah which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Whenever you go from one place to another in your life, your experiences in life, worship the Lord. Lord, thank you for giving me this. Thank you for giving me this wife. Thank you for giving me these children. Thank you for giving me this place to live and these wonderful things that you've handed us, possessions. But listen to me. Thank you for this need. Thank you for this problem. Thank you for this difficulty. Because that comes from you so that I will trust you. So that I can say God's got this. I don't have to worry about it. God's going to take care of it. I'm going to follow the Lord and the Lord will give me the strength to endure it and go through it. But he's also going to give me his best that will glorify him the most. Abram responds with worship. God says, look around. All that's going to be a gift to you. And Abram falls in worship. Says, well, thank you, Lord. Because Abram trusted God now. Now, I'm not going to say he doesn't mess up later. Because he's going to mess up later again. But at least in this moment, he's trusting God. And God renews his promise to him. God says, don't forget. And when you trust God, he reminds you that you're saved. That he loves you. That you belong to him. You don't belong to the devil. Listen, it, maybe you're in a place right now that you've messed up in the past and you're not in a good place now. Go to where you left God and there repent. If, you, if, if you're married, stay married where you are. That's what you should do. But, but, if you, but in other situations, I've just been talking about marriage a lot so I felt like I needed to say that. But where, whatever your situation is, Trust God, find God's will, and stay there and make the most out of where you are. Worship him. And so, what can you do with all this? The first one is just what I said. Trust God to give you what he promised. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, As many as may be the promises of God in Christ, they are yes. And through the Spirit, we give the amen. We say, yes, Lord, I want that. That's mine. God has given you every promise in his word is yours. Unless, he says, you can't have that. But God has gave, given us promises in his word. And you ought to hold on to these precious promises. To the things that God has promised us. And then secondly, I would just say choosing is dangerous because you don't know the future. Let me put that into a positive. You can't really make a promise because you don't know what's going to happen. 
I could tell you that on this certain day, I'm going to come and I'm going to do this certain thing for you. But I am, I am assuming that I won't have a heart attack and die between now and then. I won't get in a wreck coming to your place. I will still have enough health to do whatever it is I said I was going to do. Or even the know-how. I don't know the future. And so we find ourselves sometimes making a promise we can't keep. And you should apologize if that happens. But that's why James says, don't say I'm going to go here and do this or that. Say, if the Lord wills, I will go do this or that. And so don't, when you choose for yourself, you don't know the future. But who does know the future? So trust him with the decision. Which brings me to the third thing. This is a quote from Jim Elliott. I quoted him earlier. He paraphrased something when, when he said, No man's a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He also said, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. He and his wife had a legendary romance, courtship, marriage. They became missionaries and went to South America. I believe it was the country of Colombia, Ecuador, I think. But they went, they went to South America to be missionaries. They found this tribal people in the midst of the jungle. And they began to give them gifts to soften it up. They went down to visit them. They had some contact with them one day. And the next day, the warriors from the tribe came and killed Jim Elliott and his four companions. And they died. Pretty bad scene for a man who said, God always gives the best choice to those who leave the choice to him. But not long after that, the first contact that Jim had had with that, with that tribe were some ladies. And those ladies came to the place where Jim Elliott's widow was. And they recognized them because they had taken a picture of them. And they had that picture. Said, those are the ladies that talked to Jim and Nate and the other three guys. And the ladies ate with them, talked with them. And I don't know how they communicated it, but they asked them, would you come back to our village and teach us? And Elizabeth Elliot and Jim Nate's widow took their only children, their little boy and their little girl, and they went and lived among those people who became, all became Christians. And the man who killed Nate Saint traveled with Nate Saint's son around America to tell the story of what happened because now they walk God's trail. Doesn't sound so good like a best choice to get martyred in a jungle by a very rough people. But God brought glory to himself by inspiring Christians, by causing missions to increase, and by saving a whole tribe of people. And I know something about heaven that maybe you know, but maybe you never heard it this way. Heaven only adds, it never subtracts. If you're a believer in Christ, you don't lose anything when you die. You gain, and it's all gain. So Jim Elliott lived by what he said, no man is a fool who gives up what he cannot keep, his life, to gain what he cannot lose, eternal life. Of all men who ever lived, and there's many that this is true of, but none more, more so than Jim Elliott. That one minute he's trying to love a people that God wants to save. And the next moment he's hearing God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You got a choice to make? Trust God. Because he knows what's best. Father, 
we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, there are people here, people online that are hearing this, and right now the, they need to trust you with their eternity. They need to give their life to you. And Lord, if we can trust you with eternity, certainly we can trust you with decisions here in this world. So God, right now, I just ask that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would move people to abandon themselves in faith to you and give themselves wholly over to you. That, Lord, we would live a life that you called us to live. For, Lord, once we make that decision and we say that you are the most important thing in our life and we, we start learning about you and you filling us up with the knowledge of who you are. For you said you can do exceeding abundantly beyond what we can ask or even think or imagine. Lord, you are, you are able to do so much more than we can even guess at. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that we don't have to fear. When we can't see what that future holds, we can trust you because you are holding our future. And so, Lord, though it be fire and water and flood or though it be an easy path, God, you will give us the path we have. And you told us in Hebrews 12, to run with patience the race set before us. Not, I don't have to run the race set before Pastor Andy or Pastor Bobby or anyone in this church. And they don't have to run my race. But we each have a race to run that you've given us. And so, Lord, may we run it with faith. May we run it with endurance. May we run it with patience. May we welcome our tri trials and tribulations as friends, for they teach us patience. They teach us steadfastness. They teach us to not give up. And, Lord, may we never give up with the God who has given us all things freely. May we trust you with our very lives. In Jesus' name, amen.